Well, I got to tell you, I woke up this morning just so excited. And I'll tell you, I was so excited this morning as I was coming to church because the, the thought crossed my mind again and again that Christ, our Savior, is alive. And we have the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is unchanging and that is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Amen? I know some of you thought I was going to say I was excited for another reason. Everybody together. But the excitement of the things of this world do not compare with the excitement and joy of the things of God. Amen? And uh, what a reason this morning to rejoice and give thanks to God for what we have just proclaimed in our singing, that our Savior Jesus is alive, uh, that no one can stand against him, and that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And uh, what a great way to begin our Sunday proclaiming that. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the truths that we have proclaimed in our singing, God, uh, that our Savior Jesus is alive today. And God, thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you for the good news concerning Jesus Christ. Thank you for the reality of the change of life that takes place, the transformation that takes place when Jesus transforms us. And we are so grateful and thankful today to call ourselves the children of God and heirs with Christ. We give you all of the glory for that, Lord, because it is all due to you. And we worship you today in Christ's name. Amen. We are in a series that we started last week that we've entitled Upside Down. And I hope you've been encouraged already. I know last week was just a great week to look at Fresh Thessalonians chapter 1 and all that God had for us in that passage. I want to remind you why we've entitled this series that back in Acts chapter 17 in verse 6, during Paul's second missionary journey, uh, he began to preach the gospel in Thessalonica and believers there uh, turned from idols to worship the one true living God we saw last week. And in describing the work that these men were producing and women were producing, these uh, ones that were witnessing in the name of Jesus, those that were living there, those that were even in positions of authority, describe those that were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ as these men who have turned the world upside down. What a great statement that is. Now, I know last week, Pastor Butch mentioned and shared how really what the gospel does, what the message of the gospel does, is takes a world that has been turned upside down because of sin and turns it right side up through Christ. And and that's so good, and that's something we can understand, and we can process, and we can have that goal and desire to share the gospel and watch what God does. But the way that these men described those that were proclaiming and preaching the gospel and what their preaching was doing to their world was the preaching of the gospel was turning their world as they understood it and knew it upside down. I think that's just an incredible, incredible way to describe the impact of the gospel. See, we live in a world, in a day and age in which the things of God are largely ignored. 
the message of the gospel is seen as foolishness to so many in our world today. And our culture, our society, and America and around the world has completely rejected the things of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the standards that God has set, the holiness of God, and the truth of God's word. And they're just traveling about their lives embracing sin. This world is influenced by the prince of the power of the air, the devil. The word of God tells us that. And we have to understand that as we walk in this world and in this life as followers of Christ, the Bible describes us as aliens and strangers in this world in which we find ourselves walking. And if you look around, we don't have to look too far to understand that sin is welcome here in this world. It's embraced. The word of God tells us that that which is evil is called good and that which is good is called evil. And that's prevalent in our society and world today. The devil seems to be having a heyday today where he's just traveling about and his influence is great and people are deceived and they're following his deception and his lies and the world is under the condemnation and wrath of God without Christ because of sin, as was the case for every single one of us before knowing Christ. And that is the status and state of the world we find ourselves living in. But then enters the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, and those that are proclaiming the good news. And the only way to describe what takes place when the gospel enters this world, this scene that we've described for you, is the way that these men described it in Acts chapter 17, that the world as it is, with the sin that it's embraced, and the prince of the power of the air, who is ruling in the hearts of those that are disobedient, that that world has been flipped upside down through Christ. And that's what God has called you and I to. As believers today, he has called you and I to be proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the gospel is preached and proclaimed, there's a work that is done that can only be described as that which God has done. And a transformation takes place that would seem literally impossible. And it is apart from God. And that's what we've been called to. I want to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 8 as we continue in this series. And uh, I believe in chapter 2 verses 1 through 8, Paul is going to really give us a look at what the gospel message and the proclamation of the gospel message has produced, but also uh, the surrounding circumstances as the gospel went forth. So look at with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning with verse 1. Paul's writing and he says, For you yourselves know, brothers... That our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us." 
This morning, I want to make an overarching point that I think is valuable for us to embrace, to remember, and to reflect on as we think about the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the point I want to make this morning. The consistent, faithful, bold, clear, unapologetic, and truthful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ can turn this world upside down. Let's read it one more time. Read this with me. The consistent, faithful, bold, clear, unapologetic, and truthful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ can turn this world upside down. God has called us to proclaim the message of the gospel. And I believe what we're going to see this morning is Uh, really some truths concerning gospel proclamation that Paul lays out in their coming to these believers in Thessalonica and the circumstances that were surrounding their preaching and presentation of the gospel in their lives. And so I want to look at these points together and then I just want to give us five quick challenges as we go from here to put into practice in our lives today. Let's look at the first point. Number one, gospel proclamation is not done in vain. Gospel proclamation is not done in vain. He begins in verse 1 by saying, For you yourselves know, brothers, our coming to you was not in vain. In other words, Paul is saying to them, Our preaching of the gospel, our coming to you with the good news concerning Jesus Christ, was not for, uh, for empty reasons. It's not that it produced nothing. It didn't show itself to be unfruitful, unnecessary, and unproductive. Our gospel coming to you and gospel proclamation to you was not in vain. And I want us to understand this morning as believers... Our preaching and proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not in vain. God is faithful when the word of God goes forth. God is faithful when the gospel is proclaimed. God is glorified when the gospel is proclaimed. So often when we proclaim the gospel, our thinking as followers of Christ, is that gospel proclamation is only effective or only productive when someone comes to know Christ as Savior. But can I share with you, it is productive any time that we bring glory to God. And every time that we open our mouths to proclaim the good news concerning Jesus Christ, our God receives glory. Gospel proclamation is not done in vain. Now, in the church at Thessalonica, this was evidenced by what Paul said in chapter 1 that we looked at last week. You want to talk about it not being in vain. Look at what Paul said. Be reminded again what Paul said in chapter 1. And and really, I just want to focus in uh, on verses 6 and 7 and 8. He says this, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. You received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth where? Everywhere. So that we need not say anything. You want to talk about the prime example that Paul could point to for verse 1 of chapter 2 that our gospel preaching and proclamation was not done in vain, reread chapter 1. These were believers that when they came in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ, received God's word, even in the midst midst of what's called great affliction, it transformed their lives, and then the word of God and the gospel was sounding forth from their mouths 
and their living everywhere that they went. It could not be ignored. So much so that Paul the apostle could say of himself and the other apostles, we don't even have to say anything anymore. That's how effective the gospel has been in your lives. Gospel proclamation is never done in vain. There's always glory brought to the Lord when the children of God proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt like you've done something in vain? Have you ever felt like you've put forth effort and time and energy and and strength to something only for it to produce nothing or what seems like nothing? I had a conversation this weekend with a gentleman who's serving in youth ministry, and, and he is just a, the most genuine guy uh, as far as in youth ministry that wants to see the word of God proclaimed and have an impact on the students' lives that he's sharing with. And he said something to me when we were at lunch together. He said, you know, he said, sometimes when I'm sharing the, the word of God, he said, I look out at the students that are out there, and it, it's like no one's paying attention. No one's getting anything I'm saying. It's going one ear and out the other. I'm like, welcome to youth ministry, man. Welcome to pastoral ministry sometimes, not to indict anybody here. But sometimes you're preaching and you're wondering, is anybody hearing a word that I say? And it's a, it's a humbling experience, <laughs> humbling experience, especially when you have hecklers in the crowd. But I was, sharing, I was sharing with him yesterday, I shared with him a story. I said, I know what you're feeling and, and how often that seems to be the case. And I shared with him a story about a student that over 10 years ago I, I had a conversation with when they were, I believe, a junior in high school. And I, I sat down with this student, I pulled this person aside and, and I wanted to share with them from my heart what I felt like God laid on my heart to, to try to help them and, and put them in a particular direction and steer them clear of a direction they were heading in. And I had that conversation with that student, it was over 10 years ago, and I remember after leaving that conversation, I thought, well, that's going to produce absolutely nothing because they didn't hear a word that I said. It was one of those feelings. Ten years later, that student was in my office telling me about what I had shared ten years prior and how from that point forward, God used that to, to, to speak to them. And they, they set their life in different directions through the power of God. Now, I don't tell you that to bring glory in any way to myself because my thinking on it was like, man, that failed miserably, right? But God did something there. And I, and I was sharing with this youth pastor. I said, hey, listen, we have no idea what God is going to do with his word. We have expectations of what we want to see. But God has his perfect plan. And sometimes we never see what that ultimately produces. But can I encourage you with something today? Your proclamation of the gospel as a follower of Jesus Christ is never in vain. And Paul recognized that and he shared that with these believers here. And and Isaiah the prophet said, regarding God in his word, the word of the Lord and the Lord saying of his word, my word will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, Paul speaks about the roles that people have in sharing the gospel. When Paul says about himself, he says, I planted the seed. Speaking of the gospel and the preaching of the word, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. 
Neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Listen, you and I as believers have zero power or authority to save anyone. We don't have any power or authority to transform anybody's life. That's what God does, and he is great at it. But what God tells us he uses in his word is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And gospel proclamation, no matter how discouraged we may feel or get, is not done in vain. It's for the glory of God, and God will use it. Number two, gospel proclamation must not be hindered by conflict or persecution. Can I encourage you this morning, if you're feeling hindered, persecuted, weighed down in your proclamation of the gospel, I want to encourage you today, press on in your proclamation of the gospel. It must not be hindered by conflict or persecution. Look at verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Can I just say today, praise God Almighty that persecution cannot stop Jesus Christ and his church. It cannot and will not stop it. And praise God that the apostles in preaching the gospel, when they were persecuted and they experienced uh, affliction in conflict, that that wasn't enough to stop their witness for Jesus Christ. Because they pressed on, because they proclaimed the good news, you and I are here today proclaiming that same message. God promised us in his word. The Lord Jesus Christ promised I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Our God is just greater. And gospel proclamation must not be hindered by conflict or persecution. The preaching of the gospel is not simply a feel-good message. And the preaching of the gospel must not be limited to sharing only when everything feels good. And sadly, so often, our preaching and proclaiming of the gospel is directly impacted by how good we feel about what's going on around us. That is not what should determine the preaching of the gospel. The gospel must be preached. We are compelled to preach in good times and in bad, in easy times and in hard times, in times of peace and in times of severe persecution. In Acts 5, 38 and 39, some of you are familiar with that passage. It's where the apostles were brought in, being persecuted and being thrown in prison for their preaching of the gospel. And the council of, of men gathered together trying to figure out what do we do with these guys because they won't keep their mouths shut. They keep proclaiming Jesus. They were turning the world upside down with, with the gospel. And they didn't know what to do. And, and so one of them spoke up and said, in the present case, this is how I advise you. Here's how we should deal with these guys. Leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Can I encourage you with something today? When there's opposition to our preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the opposition is not just fighting us they are fighting against God and they cannot win that fight they cannot win that our proclamation of the gospel must not be hindered by conflict 
or by persecution. We must press on. Later on in Acts chapter 5, in that same passage, it says that the apostles left the Sanhedrin after they were beaten, rejoicing. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Our gospel proclamation must not be hindered by conflict. Or persecution. Number three, gospel proclamation must be done to please God and not man. This is sometimes something we can confuse. Look at verses three and four. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been improved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Gospel proclamation must be done to please God and not man. The message they preach is not from man. The message that we preach is not from man, but from God. The message that we preach is not because of man, but because of God. And the message that we preach is not for the approval of man, but it's at the approval and command of God. In contrast with the false teachers that they no doubt would have been familiar with, and the message these false teachers would be speaking, the the motivations that they would have in speaking and ultimately the results that would follow from this false teaching. In contrast to that, the message of the gospel is pure. The message of the gospel is powerful. The message of the gospel is life transforming. Paul addressed this in Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul says, as we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching you a gospel other than what you've accepted, let them be under God's curse. He asked the question, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. There is a real danger. Listen to this. There's a real danger. When our preaching and proclamation and sharing of the gospel is done to seek the approval of man rather than God. There's a real danger in this. Because if in our preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our desire is the approval of man, the gospel can be watered down. If our desire is the approval of man, then there's this temptation to just alter it a little bit, just make it more palatable, just try to justify maybe a little bit more sin, and just try to justify maybe a little bit more air, because if I'm seeking the approval of men, I am not a servant of God. But if at the compelling of the Spirit of God, we are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel remains unchanged and pure, and it remains the power of God for everyone who would believe it. I remember years ago talking to a leader of a religious institution and asking that leader, how is it that someone gets to heaven? Who goes to heaven? And his answer to me was, I believe, this is what he shared, that as long as someone wholeheartedly believes in what they believe, there's no reason God won't let them into heaven. So no matter what they believe, even if they're an atheist, they, they, they reject and don't believe God even exists. As long as they believe that truthfully from their heart, there's no reason God will not let them into heaven. Friends, that is not the gospel. And yet when we seek the approval of men rather than God, 
it becomes so easy just to put our own thoughts into the mix, doesn't it? The gospel, the message of the gospel must be done to please God and not man. Number four, gospel proclamation must be clear, pure, and for the glory of God. Look at verses five and six. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul's telling them that when we came to you, we didn't come with our own words or for flattery. We didn't come to you seeking our own glory or to be propped up in your presence. We didn't seek our own wealth and our own recognition. No, we came to you proclaiming and preaching the gospel, the purity of the gospel as God is our witness. Gospel proclamation must be clear, pure, and for the glory of God. We have the message. It is not complicated. It's not unclear. It's not going to change. You don't have to worry about waking up tomorrow and finding that the message of the gospel has changed overnight. You don't have to worry that tomorrow Jesus can't be found. You don't have to worry tomorrow as to whether or not Christ is still raised from the dead. The message of the gospel is eternal. And that clear, pure, glorious message of the gospel must be proclaimed as it is. Unaltered, unchanged, eternal. We need to share that message. Paul proclaimed this message and defined it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, verse 1, Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you believed in vain. What is the gospel that he preached to them? For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Paul says, I preached and proclaimed the gospel to you which has transformed your lives. What is that message? That Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures and he was seen by witnesses. We have that message. It's not changing. You and I as children of God, if we authentically know Christ as Savior, we know and have believed in that message. It's crystal clear. And our gospel proclamation must be clear. It must be pure and it must be for the glory of God and not our own glory or for the glory of man. That is what we believe. That is what we preach. That is what we live for. That is willing, if God so to choose, we would die for. It must be pure, clear, and for the glory of God. Number five. Gospel proclamation should be accompanied by authenticity, love, and true care. Look at verses 7 and 8. Paul says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Gospel proclamation should be accompanied by authenticity, by love, And by true, authentic care. Jesus modeled this to perfection, didn't he? Jesus was just the perfect example of someone who could share, without apologies, the truth of God concerning sin and the destructiveness of sin and the wrath of God. And yet, 
the message of the good news concerning himself with grace, compassion, love, and care. And that should be true of our lives as believers as well. Paul says, listen, we, we were gentle among you. We cared for you. We were desirous, affectionately desirous, ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our own selves because of how dear you were to us. We share the gospel, the truth of the gospel in love. We share the truth of the gospel and seek to love. We share the truth of the gospel. And if it is an offense, so be it. But may we not be the offense. May the gospel be the offense. You know, I think about it when it comes to talking with my children versus talking with adults. Uh, People, uh, you know, whether it's in ministry, in the office, or people that I associate with. When I talk to my kids and they do something uh, or they uh, are asking questions that I think they should know the answer to or whatever, I respond to them with gentleness, kindness, and love, hopefully. So when my kids ask me a question, now I'll tell you the trying time for me is during the Buffalo Bills game when my daughters are in the room and they're asking, what's a field goal? And what's the 50-yard line? And how's a first down? And why are the Bills wearing that color? And I'm like, go in the other room. Like, you know, that's what I want to say. But instead I'm like, oh, that's, that's a first down. It's 10 yards, honey. You know, and I'm trying to be gentle, right? So sometimes that gets tested. But The majority of the time when we're talking with our children or talking to someone younger, we are gentle, we are kind, we are caring, right? Because we understand, especially with kids, sometimes they don't know better. They don't see, they don't understand, they can't process it yet. And so if my kids come to me and they ask me a question that they don't know the answer to, and I think they should, even though I think they should know the answer to that, or even if I've answered it like 30 times already, I'm going to be like, oh, honey, daddy's answered that question before. You not remember? You know, and I'm trying to be kind and patient. But if it's like another adult and I've answered the question like 30 times, I'm like, how do you not know that, right? You, you respond differently to those that, not that I don't care for other people, but that you, that you sincerely love. But here's the difference. With my children, I understand they have a reason that they don't know and understand because they don't see and they don't process, they don't understand it. We have to understand as believers in Christ that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever. And so our approach in sharing and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is not one of rudeness and hatred and anger and selfishness and pride, but it is one of gentleness and love and authenticity, and true care as we share with them not only the gospel, but our lives. Gospel proclamation should be accompanied always by authenticity, love, and true care. It is a terrible thing when the believer in Jesus Christ is the offense. May only the gospel be the offense. Not you and I. Not you and I. Gospel proclamation is not done in vain. It is not hindered by conflict or persecution. It must be done to please God and not man. It must be clear, pure, and for the glory of God. It should be accompanied by authenticity, love, and true care. The consistent, faithful, bold, clear, Unapologetic and truthful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ can turn this world upside down. 
With those thoughts in mind, let me give us some quick parting challenges for the coming week. As you and I seek this week to turn the world upside down or right side up, let me challenge you with the following. Number one, remember, believer, your labor is not in vain. Your gospel proclamation this week will not be in vain. God will use the proclamation of the gospel for his glory every time. It's not in vain. Number two, refuse to be stopped by persecution or conflict. Press on in our proclamation of the gospel. Number three, seek to please God and not man. How much more could be accomplished for the glory of God if we quit worrying about the approval of man? And just became obedient to God. Seek to please God and not man. Number four, share the truth. Don't share a watered down version of the gospel. Share the gospel. Because it is the power of God unto salvation for those that would believe. And number five, be authentic in your witness and in your living. With great care, love, Share not only the gospel, but your very lives with those who are perishing without Christ. The consistent, faithful, bold, clear, unapologetic, and truthful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ can turn this world upside down. We have a message to share because our Savior lives. He is risen. And we worship him. I thought it would be appropriate as we close this morning to sing again, Christ is risen, that he lives. And so let's stand together as we close our service this morning, worshiping and proclaiming the good news concerning Jesus Christ.